0: know from the the cycle of the Church that we read this Gospel of the Samaritan Woman twice in the Paschal season. We read it uh, during the 40 days of Lent, and we read it during the the 50 days of uh, the Holy Pentecost. And you probably already also know that the Church tries to emphasize different aspects of the Gospel reading And the one case relating it to land in terms of the repentance and conversion of the Samaritan woman. Um, And in the Gospel this morning, when when we read it in the context of Pentecost, we see it in the context of the the new life in Christ that He wrought through His Holy Resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And if there's one part I want to sort of um, focus on that brings together the theme of these Holy Fifty Days... As it relates to the Lord's encounter with the Samaritan woman, it's in the context of the conversation in which the Lord says, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water, that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And this is in the fourth chapter of St. John's Gospel, the account of the Samaritan woman. But in chapter 7, just a few chapters after, there's another occasion in a completely different context in which the Lord has left Jerusalem and has now come back to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. And while he's there in the uh, the Temple for the Feast of Tabernacles, St. John tells us that on the last day of the Feast, Jesus, he said, stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit. So this is the key that unlocks for us the gospel this morning. Clearly, when Christ cried out and said, if anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. If anyone believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then St. John comments and says that this he spoke concerning the Spirit. So there is a mystery here about the heart and about the overflowing grace of the Holy Spirit that comes out of the heart of man, which is activated by... The power of the resurrection and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life. One of the desert fathers of the fourth century, Abapambo, he said, If you have a heart, you can be saved. If you have a heart, you can be saved. So much of the scriptures and the, the saints speak about the centrality of the heart, the centrality of the heart in the Christian life and in the process of encountering God and the process of salvation. Um, In the the gospel today, there's a a conversation that takes place. The woman is speaking about, and and we can say in one language, an earthly language, and the Lord is speaking in another language, a heavenly language, Uh, and they're talking past each other. She is still at the earthly plane, the earthly realm, speaking about water in terms of this water, we call this water. And Christ is speaking on another another plane, the spiritual plane, about the spiritual water, or the, the waters of the life-giving grace of the Holy Spirit. And they're talking past each other. And there's one crucial moment in which this talking past each other becomes a, a real connection. And it's when Christ sort of brushed against her vulnerability her sin. And And I think this is an important point for us to kind of realize that we often, in our dialogue with God, we talk past one another, God and I. Not that God doesn't hear what I say. But there is two realities oftentimes in which what I am speaking to God about is not what He really wants to speak to me about or what he wants to really give me, or what he really wants to convey to me. And he sees me speaking about things that are perhaps important at this level, or at this plane of spiritual reality or physical reality. And yet he is so desirous, he is so anxious to speak to me on a different level. And unless I have this moment of in which my heart is activated, sort of explodes with the mercy of Christ, with the love of Christ, with the, the forgiveness and redemption of Christ when I stand before Him, realizing that I am a miserable sinner in need of His mercy, and this mercy is overflowing from Him. It's at that moment that the conversation begins to converge. And, and this is what happens in the Gospel today, is that there is this beautiful moment that takes place, an intimate moment. And, and from this point, we see that Christ is speaking about an inner reality. You know, the, the rivers flowing forth from the heart. The interior experience of this Samaritan woman, not, not not simply what her exterior life was like, but more importantly now what is what's happening from within. And and in a sense this is what the gospel is about this, this morning. It's about a resurrection. It's about an awakening. It's about a, a, a renewal of consciousness. If we think about the word consciousness, spiritual consciousness, it's very important to, to think about how, how are we are raised to greater yeah. levels of spiritual consciousness. In other words, this woman was at a, a certain consciousness, a level of consciousness that was very earthly. And then she was immediately bumped up and raised. And Christ speaks of this eternal, overflowing process of growth and spiritual awakening, spiritual consciousness. In other words, it's everlasting, it's never ending, it's unlimited in this life. It's not just a moment of conversion, but it is the beginning of an an, an unleashing of of spiritual power from within. So how do we think of this in a very simple concept? Think about consciousness as like when you go into a surgery and you take, and they give you anesthesia, you're conscious at the moment that perhaps before they give you the anesthesia and then you start to sort of disconnect. And then before you know it, you, you wake up. And perhaps you have zero recollection of what happened during those hours that you were under anesthesia. You had no consciousness. That's maybe one level of sort of a dead consciousness. And then think about when you're asleep at night, and you're dreaming. Is this a level of consciousness? It is. But is it often sensible? Does it make sense to us? Do we understand why, what these dreams mean, and what's happening, right? Obviously not, because as soon as we wake up, we immediately realize that we're at another level of consciousness. We realize that, oh, I was dreaming, And it didn't make sense or I had these strange or weird dreams. And now I realize that I'm in a new reality. So I'm at another level of consciousness. So think about, in a very simple way, how we experience levels of consciousness in our life. But what Christ does today is He opens up, through the power of His resurrection and the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the possibility for new experiences of spiritual consciousness call it awakening, um, resurrection. Not, not just the resurrection at the, at the end of times when, when we are given our glorified bodies, but a spiritual resurrection. And we all have those moments of, of intuition or, or inspiration. We're praying, we're reading, we're contemplating, we're walking, we're, we're by ourselves in silence, and immediately something comes to us, an awareness of a reality that becomes very true very real very powerful these are moments of greater spiritual consciousness so when christ speaks of this ever-flowing river he's speaking to us about endless possibilities for the christian there is no limit and that's why when we encounter holy people when we encounter living saints we see in them Right? That there is this level of, of existence, there's this level of reality, consciousness, awakening that they experience that is at a different level than ours, and it shakes us. It, it, it's like waking up from a bad dream. Our life is like a constant set of bad dreams that we wake up from, if we look at it, not as life as, as, as a bad thing, but look at it as there's something better. There's a new there's a better reality that where our eyes aren't open to. It's it's what we looked at in the in the story of the blind man. This gift of this light of faith which is not simply to believe that God exists but it's more importantly it's the ever increasing reality of what's true, what's real, what is real life. Right? What is what is this water if this light versus the water that you want to give me, Lord, there are at two different levels, and the water that uh, uh, that I look at, that I call this water, this light, is very limited. You can exhaust it, uh, no matter how intelligent you are, it can be exhausted. But Christ says that there's another faucet, fountain, in which there is unlimited growth, unlimited potential, unlimited. Grace, And that's what he speaks to us about in the St. with the Samaritan woman. And so, when the saints speak about the heart, discovering the heart, living in the heart, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about not living in the mind, and the psyche, in our thoughts, in our intelligence, although those things are, are gifts and good and part of our human condition, and our human nature, but, but to live at the level of the heart means the center of where we encounter. It's the center, of the intimate place where we, where we come to know ourselves as we really are, and we come, where we come to learn how to dialogue with God and to know Him. And so we speak about layers or levels of of growing in the deep heart. Oftentimes we talk about go deeper. Christ says to Peter, launch out into the deep. What is the so there's the heart, but then there's the deep heart. There's there's the discovery that that the Samaritan woman has today of her heart being activated by the grace of of Christ. And then there's the process of discovering the depth of the heart. Uh, Some of the fathers, they speak about how in the fall, there was this division between the mind and the heart. And modern man, contemporary man, lives too much in the separation in the mind. And when we live purely in the mind what happens to the mind? It becomes sick. And all kinds of disorders and diseases and, and and problems are when the mind is disconnected from the heart. It's like a machine that's not connected to the, the proper source of, of, of its energy, of its of its, of its life, of its being. And it breaks down. But when the mind is centered in the heart, then everything is in order, everything is in harmony. This is the state of Adam and Eve in paradise, this, this state of harmony. And so... ...between mystery and a problem. A problem is to be solved. A mystery is to be lived. A problem causes frustration, she says but a mystery brings about fascination. Very beautiful. A problem is something to be solved, but a mystery is something to be lived. A problem brings about frustration, mystery brings about fascination. And so, I I can't give you any more than I can give myself the definition and the key today to what is the heart, and how to activate the heart, and how to live in the depths of the heart. But what I can say, is that all of us are in the process of learning the heart. If we continue in the path that we are supposed to be on, humbly going about our life, trusting in God, believing in God, praying, participating in the sacraments, spending time in in deep quiet and meditation and reflection, this is how the heart is discovered. This is how Christ, in this gift that he gives to the Samaritan woman where he meets us, When we're we're no longer talking past each other, but we're talking directly to one another, looking in each other's eyes and having a real conversation of a matter of life and death. And so, it needs for us to be sort of this empty receptacle before God. And we speak about this in so many different ways. The kenosis, when St. Paul talks about the Christ who emptied himself, and Philippians 2. Or we speak about it as becoming uh, 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 the spiritually poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The idea in all of these is that this process of discovering the heart is a process of emptying ourselves and standing before God as vulnerable, as naked, as hungry, as thirsty. That's why Christ. It's very beautiful that St. John says that he stood at the temple and he cried. He cried out. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He's crying for us to seek, to be filled. But to do that, we have to be empty. And many uh, spiritual Fathers and saints have spoken about the process of sculpting, right? Of, of, of the sculptor sort of chiseling away at a piece of stone or marble. Right? And it's this process of, of destroying in order to give life. It's this process in which God works with us, sometimes forcibly, to chisel, to empty us of, of, of our five husbands the one that we were now with, who is not our husband. He chisels these things away in order to expose us, in order to have that vulnerable encounter with him. And there's a, a beautiful um, quote that I came across about Michelangelo. It said that Michelangelo, one time was ardently engaged in sculpting one of his uh, statues. And then he, he was overheard saying, Another few days, and life will break through. What a beautiful image by you. Michelangelo is sitting there destroying this piece of stone or marble, chiseling away at it, and then he begins to see, in a few more days, life will emerge. Now who is the sculptor? Christ. And who is that piece of stubborn stone? Me. And Christ is trying to chisel away, and he is full of hope. And he says, a few more days, a few more chisels, chiseling, or what's the, whatever the adjective is, and life will come forth. Death, then life. The tomb, and then the empty tomb. Um, And this is how grace works. This is why the gospel today is so important. Um... A beautiful quote from uh, a sister uh, um, Marie Howe, she says, Why is it that grace sometimes appears to be lacking in efficacy, winning victories in the souls of the greatest sinners, but often remaining inoperative in the most decent people? How so? Because quote-unquote decent people, or rather those who like to call themselves that, are clothed in the armor of their virtue think about what she's saying here. She's saying, why is it that the Samaritan woman is like an explosion of grace? Living a terrible past and present, and immediately she is having an explosion of grace. Is it case. Available, open to grace. And why is it that those of us who have made some progress, who live the Christian life, who don't have five husbands in our past and live now with one who's not our husband or whatever that means to you or me in our our life, why is it that there is no explosion of grace like, like these experiences for us? And she says it's because we are decent people. We are good people. And this decency of ours, this goodness of ours, is like a cloak of virtues that covers us from being who we really are before God. No different than the Samaritan woman, no different than Zacchaeus, no different than the the thief on the right side of Christ. If only whatever we've accomplished in our spiritual life, we are so unaware of it, that we always feel like this Samaritan woman before Christ, then we would have those explosions of grace in our lives. She says grace can transform the greatest of criminals and the most miserable sinners because it can penetrate them. They are so fragile, they are so vulnerable, that think of something sort of piercing skin, or balloon, or whatever it is. It's so thin that it just pierces very quickly. But we have layers. And these layers, unfortunately, sometimes are our virtues. It's, our, it's our, our Christianity, it's our acts, it's our titles, it's our honors. These layers that we, that we accumulate over our life that make us decent people, that she says. It makes this layer very thick and impenetrable. So I want to end with a final point, which is this grace that Christ speaks about today to you and me is inside of us. What this woman received today, we received it in baptism. That fountain of grace was implanted in us in baptism. And so, Christ has already given us the potential to live this overflowing river of living water. St. Augustine says very beautifully, He says, you called me, you cried aloud to me, you broke the barrier of my deafness. You shone upon me, your radiance enveloped me, you shed your fragrance about me. I drew breath, and now I gasped for your sweet odor. I tasted you, and now I hunger and thirst for you. You touched me, and I am now inflamed with love for your presence. This is the... Experience that the Samaritan woman had today. And this is the experience that we, hopefully, at some point in our life, we have this experience. This, this calling of God. This crying out of Christ in the temple. If, if you thirst for me, come. Blessed are we if we heard His voice say this to us. And we can say with St. Augustine that I have hasted you and now I hunger and thirst for you. You touched me, and now I am inflamed with love for your presence. So, everything is within us. The grace is within us. I read uh, in this book that we did for our Orthodox Catholic Book Club uh, last week. Very beautiful book. Um, And in that book, uh, the the author, she speaks about something I never heard of before. It's called the uh, the musk beer. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of the musk beer. So, you know the fragrance, musk fragrance? Apparently this fragrance comes from, there's an animal that's called the musk deer. Apparently it's not exactly, specifically a deer, but it's called a musk deer, but it's some other similar kind of, in the family of the deer. And this musk deer has a, a gland, it's called the musk gland. And this gland, when it's removed from the musk deer, when you break it open, it, it's, well, even before you break it open, it has this beautiful fragrance. And it's only for the male musk deer, and it's it's used in nature, by God's creation, so that the male musk deer attracts the female musk deer, or female deer. Um, and so, this male musk deer has this gland that has this fragrance. And so, those who, who make perfumes and colognes, they you can go on YouTube, and I actually looked at this, you can go on YouTube and see how they extract this gland. It's a small gland, like a, maybe, off ball size from this animal, and they break it open, and it has almost looks like kind of like tobacco, kind of like substance, and they use it to make the musk fragrance, perfumes and colognes and things like that. It's very fascinating. So there's a legend, there's an old legend that goes back apparently thousands of years called the legend of the musk deer. I'm just gonna read it, it's just two small paragraphs, but it I think it highlights very nicely what we're what I want to conclude with. One day, many years ago, the musk deer of the mountains sniffed a breath of musk perfume. He leaped from jungle to jungle in pursuit of the musk. The poor animal no longer ate, drank, or slept. He didn't know where the scent of the musk came from, but he was impelled to pursue it through ravines, forests, and hills, finally starving, harassed exhausted, and wandering about at random, he slipped from the top of a rock and fell mortally wounded. The musk deer's last act before he died was to take pity on himself and lick his breast, and his musk pouch, torn when he fell on the rock, poured out its perfume. He gasped and tried to breathe in the perfume, but it was too late. Beloved son, Don't seek the perfume of God outside of yourself and perish in the jungle of life. Search your soul and look within, he will be there. Isn't that beautiful? So, we received this river of light inside of us, each one of us. None of us are are, are denied this possibility. But it's within us to discover, again, the heart, to live in the awareness and the new life, of the spiritual consciousness that Christ wants to raise us to, to, to begin in this life that process of greater and greater spiritual consciousness, and, and even the saints say that in eternity, we continue to grow. It's not in eternity, we don't arrive at a sort of static state of perfection, but we continue to become aware and live in more and more truth about God and His love and His glory in eternity, without end. Glory to him now that was made mm-hmm. mm-hmm. mm-hmm.